If you'd like to follow along with me this morning, I'll be reading from the book of Psalms. Psalms 125, verses 1 and 2. Psalms 125, verses 1 and 2. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We hope that you can come back time and time again. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, Next week, will your friends be here? That's the question we all need to ask, and the answer is up to us. Uh, There are postcards on each end of the foyer, also at the Welcome Center, uh, to invite people to our Friends Day this coming uh, Sunday. So that's a week from today. Be sure you make your plans to do that. Uh, You may want to go ahead and, as you're inviting them, to invite them to come over to your house to eat lunch with you or to uh, go to a restaurant with you. But make plans for it to be a special day for you and your friends. And keep in mind, if you don't invite them, they may not get invited. And what a terrible, terrible thing it would be to go through life and no one invite you to learn of a Savior. Uh, Let's do that for our friends. Uh, We owe them that. We owe it to God as He gives us the Great Commission. Let's be prayerful about it. Let's be fervent in prayer each day this week for the ones we're inviting, but also for the success overall. The spiritual good will come from this day. We appreciate Doug Williams and the work that he's putting into planning this day and others that are part of it. And let's do everything we can do Uh, to God's glory for the day to be a great success. It is encouraging to think that now over a year we have been having two services on Sunday morning and immediately after we went to two services, our attendance averaged more than 100 uh, each Sunday morning uh, after that and the long-term average has been about 50 to 60 after that. And, And that's a blessing when we think that those represent souls. That's the souls that are sitting here this morning. Uh, We want to make room for every soul. We want to be not uh, passive, but aggressive. We want to be active to reach out. Uh, We have good news. We've had a lot of Friends Days in recent years. Until last year, we couldn't say there's plenty of room. Many hesitated to invite on Friends Days in past years. But last year was a wonderful experience, and about 1,200 came because there's plenty of room. Uh, So isn't it wonderful that God continues to bless us in so many ways? Before, room was a problem. God's blessed us. It's not a problem anymore. Uh, We have plenty of room in the auditorium. So make sure that you do what you can do to invite your friends. You ever been lonely? You ever felt like no one understands? No one cares? You know, when we see some scenery, whether it's in real life or even in movies... Sometimes that scenery physically may remind us of what we feel emotionally or maybe even spiritually. That there's kind of a fog, that if, if there was just someone around me, you know, the psalmist, as was already read in the text this morning, he reveals to us a beautiful thought, that God is surrounding us. 
In that we ought to find strength. In that we ought to find comfort. In that we ought to find direction. When we think of the 23rd Psalm, one of the beautiful aspects of the 23rd Psalm is that when those sheep are thirsty and when they're hungry, that the Lord is right there surrounding them as their shepherd providing. And whenever they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is right there around them. He's protecting them, offering them the way of righteousness, offering a staff and a rod to protect them. And when enemies come, He's there to protect them also again. And even when they're injured, He's there to anoint their head with oil and to take care of them. And then we get a view, a glimpse of eternity that we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, not only on this earth, but for an eternity, we can be surrounded by God. Friends, Satan doesn't want you to believe that. Satan doesn't want you to live for that. Satan wants you to live a life that is discouraging. A life where you'll believe, I'm alone. God doesn't care. I want to ask you this morning, are you going to believe the father of lies? Are you going to believe the God that says, I'll surround you? You know, as we look at this photograph, it might be easy for you to describe this photograph. Probably many of you would look at this and say, this is a man leaning against a wall, reading a newspaper, and there's two people standing behind them. But if you'll notice in the top right hand corner, there's something that throws you off about that picture. You see, that's not the actual angle of the camera. When we turn the picture the way it was actually taken, we see that in reality, this is a man that's lying on his back with his feet draped over a gutter and the other two men are lying on the ground, stiff-armed beside him. It's kind of a photographer's optical illusion. And as I saw that, I couldn't help but think, in a sense, that's what Satan does. Satan takes things that are wonderful and that are beautiful and he twists them and he distorts them just enough that they don't look anything as they really are. Do you serve a God this morning that surrounds you, that knows you? He cares for you. He understands your deepest pain. He wants to be like a shepherd that takes care of a sheep in every way. Look back again to Psalms 125, and as we look at Psalms 125, I'd like to take your attention first to verse 2. Verse 2 speaks about the Lord, verse 1 speaks about us. Look at verse 2 again. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds His people from this time forth and forever. So as the psalmist here speaks of Jerusalem, which itself was on a very high point on a hill, but yet there were mountains or very uh, large hills that surrounded Jerusalem on every side. In other words, there were some to the north, some to the south, some to the east, some to the west. And we have photography where views have been seen, where, where, the, uh, where the actual photographs even today show those hillsides that surrounding Jerusalem. And so here the psalmist, he wants us to understand that we can be a Jerusalem type where everywhere we look, there's a mountain that surrounds us. And that mountain is symbolic of our Lord. Our Lord is that rock that we can depend upon. That rock will be there today, tomorrow, and for the next generation to come. We're surrounded by a powerful, almighty force. But now let's think about who he says in verse 2. Notice he said that he surrounds his people. Do you realize that the Lord, in the sense of providing and protecting and etc., he does not surround the world? Wait a minute, preacher, I know that, that God sees everywhere. He does. 
He sees everywhere, but He does not surround everyone. When we're talking about nurturing and we're talking about protection, He only surrounds His people. Well, who are His people? Because I want to make sure that I'm a part of His if that's the ones that He surrounds. Go back to verse 1. In Psalms 125 and verse 1, He speaks of His people. Those, talking about His people, those who trust in the Lord. Now, they're like a mount too. They're like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. Mount Zion, symbolic of Jerusalem. Jerusalem also on that mount, on that hill there. And he says, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. The idea of trust. We'll believe someone when they say something. We trust them. The idea of trust. If we truly trust someone, we believe them even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when we don't see the way, if they say that is the way, we'll trust them. Do you trust God? Do you trust God more than you trust yourself, your own eyes? When we think about trust, one has defined trust as truth applied to relationships. Are you willing to take the Word of God that's been revealed to us and say, this is truth. I'm going to apply it to my relationship with God every time. No exceptions. You know, when you read some of those passages in the Sermon on the Mount, turn the other cheek, do you trust God? Do you trust God that when someone curses you, the best thing you can do is to pray for them and to bless them? Not bless them out. Bless them? Do you trust God? Do you trust God so that it becomes a blessing in all your other relationships? You'll do what God's will is in your relationship with a spouse, with a child, with a parent, with a neighbor that's very difficult to get along with, even with your enemies. Notice there back in verse 1 again, he says this trust is like Mount Zion. And then he gives two characteristics. He tells us that it is steadfast and that it abides forever. As we think about him saying, which cannot be moved, it's steadfast and it is enduring. It abides forever. Can you say that's a description of your trust? It's steadfast. Now, God doesn't work in this way, but to illustrate it. If you were on a 10-story balcony and God was down on the ground, and he said, jump, I'll catch you. Would you jump? Well, it doesn't make sense physically. It doesn't make sense emotionally. It doesn't make sense from what we see. But do you trust God enough? Most of us parents have been in a situation where our children maybe were, were up higher than us. And I remember as my kids were toddlers, I remember from time to time being in a situation like that and say, come on, just fall to me, I'll catch you. They'd only be a few feet away. And they say, oh, daddy, no. Trust me, I can catch you. Trust me. Do you trust that God can catch you if you're following His will? Lord, I don't see how this is going to work out. I don't see how this relationship will be what it ought to be. I don't see your way in this. I just hear your will, but I don't see how it's going to unfold. Notice this trust. It's like Mount Zion. Now, we have many 
snow skiers in this congregation. Others that are not can imagine and have oftentimes seen, surely, large mountains. I want you to imagine going snow skiing and you ride several lifts up to the very top and you're about to ski down a three-mile run. One of the most beautiful sights on earth. And you ski all the way down and you ride the lift again and again. You say, man, this is great. Can't wait till tomorrow. You go back to the hotel. You get up early the next morning. You drive back to get your ski lift ticket. Wow, that's odd. You say to the lady at the counter, is something wrong there? There was a mountain here yesterday. What happened to the mountain? She says, oh, it does that sometimes. It's just gone one day. It may come back in a week or two. We just lose it sometime. That doesn't make sense, does it? You can't even make an illustration that makes sense out of that. Why? Because mountains are here day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium. Mountains are there to exist. Rock solid faith. And Jesus says, the psalmist says, He says, I want to talk to you about a Lord that surrounds His people. Now I want to talk to you about His people. His people are the ones that trust Him. And it's like a Mount Zion. Jerusalem is still in existence even today. Will your faith be in existence today? Will it be in existence in the next stage of life? Will it be in existence as you leave this life? You see... If we're going to have a God that surrounds us, we have to make sure that we stay with that God. He'll never come out to us in the depths of the world and protect us and provide for us. You remember the prodigal son, to have the blessings of his father, had to decide to come home to the father's surroundings. And the same is true for us. Now, that's the major point that we'll develop this morning. What I'd like for you to do is drop back now to Psalms 121, and we'll look at some other things that, to me, have great interest. Many of you know Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the Bible. When we come to Psalms 120, it was believed to be a small book within itself when it was first written. It's Psalms 120 through 134. It's 15 chapters. And if you'll note in your Bible, most every one of them are short chapters. And if you'll read them as if it's one reading, it is so interesting if you'll keep this in mind especially. The Jewish men were required to go back to Jerusalem. No matter where they lived, they would go back to Jerusalem three times a year. These are the psalms of ascent. These are the songs that they would sing as they were making their way in that journey all the way back to Jerusalem, which was the Lord's city, the holy city, the place of God's presence. It also refers to the fact that when the children of Israel were taken in Babylonian captivity and finally they were allowed to be freed from that captivity. Can you imagine after 70 years of exile, can you imagine how exciting it was for them to be released from their bondage, to now be free to go back and to live as children of God, free from physical bondage, accepting all of the physical and spiritual blessings that God has to offer them as they go back to Jerusalem. 
And so it's in this setting that the text this morning has been read of Psalms 125. But now let's drop back and let's see all of this teaching, which is the idea, keep in mind, the idea was returning to Jerusalem where the Lord surrounds His people. And so here the people are singing about how wonderful it's going to be to be able to go back to where God is surrounding them. There are many things that are blessed in our life when the Lord surrounds us, but He only surrounds us when. And let's look at Psalms 121 and verse 1. We sung of this just a few minutes ago. He says, I'll lift up my eyes into the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The Lord will surround us if we'll keep our eyes on heaven. We're not home. We're on a journey. We need to see our life as Psalms 120 through 134. We need to see our life as people that are constantly on a journey. Our eyes are always held heavenly. We make wrong decisions and involve our heart in the wrong things whenever we start looking only to the earthly. We only see the physical. We only see our physical families. We only see our jobs. We only see our material possessions. Friends, I need to see souls. I need to see eternity. I need to see virtues and characteristics of our God. I need to see love. The first and greatest commandment and the second commandment of God and of others. If I don't lift my eyes, as Colossians 3 and 1, when we are baptized, if you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. As we think about the seeking in the heart, go with me if you will to Psalms 122. 122, he says, keep in mind, this is still talking about that journey back to Jerusalem. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Now, we oftentimes refer to this and make application to worship, and that's proper. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. But the truth is, the broader application would include also that long journey. I'm glad that now I've finally made it back to the holy city where the mountain are the Lord and they surround us. I was glad when I could enter into the house. Does that describe your heart? Now the previous passage we just read should describe our vision or our focus. It ought to be heavenward. But our heart ought to be, I'm glad when I have the opportunity to leave the world for a brief period of time and come together with brothers and sisters in Christ and worship. You know the theme for this year, the joy of the Lord. Do you have that kind of joy? I'm glad when we can come together. If I'm living out in the world, and I'm acting like the world, and I'm talking like the world, and I'm molded like the world, probably about the best you're going to get out of me It's Sunday morning worship. And the truth is, I'm not going to be real glad to do that. I'm just going to do it. Don't know why. Maybe I was raised religious. Maybe I'm trying to ease a guilty conscience. Maybe I have just enough friends there that I want to be sociable. Maybe I'm trying to raise kids that I just think they'd be better kids if I raised them in a Bible class. And so I bring them to a Bible class. But the idea of being glad... 
to go to worship? To have a heart that would overflow with joy to worship? No. As a matter of fact, I won't be glad enough to return Sunday night. Because after all, I feel a lot more comfortable back here in the world. That's who I am. That's where I belong. But what about those people that are 100% committed to Christ? They work in places where people don't talk as Christians. They don't conduct their business all the time as Christians should. Every day is a battle for them to stand the test and to pass being faithful to God. There are young people that refuse to cheat on tests. There are adults that refuse to cheat on their taxes. They go on business trips and they're the only one that don't indulge in alcohol. They're the only ones that don't participate in certain activities. And they stand out and they fight for the Lord with convictions to remain pure. They have neighbors that are not nice to them and they turn the other cheek and they forgive. And you know, you only have to go through that for so long before you say, I need a break. I need some relief. I can't wait. I can't wait till Sunday when I can go into the house of the Lord and I can be with a whole house of people that love God. We're of a common faith. We're of a common mind. I love to go in the house of God. It's there that my focus is 100% on God and the surroundings are so encouraging. God doesn't surround us when we decide to live in the world. When our eyesight is simply on the earth. When our heart is ingrained in the ways of the earth. And you know, from our heart comes our actions. And it always shows. I'm not urging you this morning to try to stir up some emotion so that you'll be happy about coming to worship. I'm urging you, if you do not have any joy in coming to worship, I'm urging you to think this week about repenting and giving your life wholly to God. And if you'll spend a week out there fighting Satan, you'll find that you'll be just like those pilgrims of old who look forward to entering into Jerusalem. They were glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. And that same principle is taught strongly in Hebrews 10 and 25. Forsake not the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's a great encouragement to each other for us to come together, but let's not forsake it. Finally this morning, if you would look with me to Psalms 130. Psalm 130, as we begin reading in verse 3, he says, If you, Lord should mark iniquities. Oh Lord, who could stand? What if we just started on this side of the room, we went all the way around and we asked, are you a sinner? Have you ever sinned? Every one of us that's reached an accountable age have sinned. 
And so if that's all the Lord is going to do is go around and mark iniquity, I don't have a prayer. You don't have a prayer. But there's got to be something better if there's an almighty God that loves us, that surrounds us. Notice what is better. Verse 4, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In His Word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yea, Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And with Him is abundant redemption. And so as we think about being surrounded by the Lord, what benefit is it? It's there we find mercy. It's in His Word that we find hope. It's there that we have forgiveness of sin. It's there that we have redemption. Who's going to receive this? He says, those that wait. The soul that waits upon the Lord. What is the waiting? Now, notice we just skipped over 125 that we began with this morning. That waiting is trusting in the Lord day after day after day. Are we willing to stay with God's way Throughout our life, are we willing to wait? And what will happen? One day that end will be. And we will have waited. We will have persevered until we are surrounded by the Lord for an eternity. Most of us would have to admit that sometime waiting is the hardest thing to do. When something doesn't make sense, waiting for it to make sense is the hardest thing to do. That's why it requires trust. God, I trust you. I will continue waiting upon you. This morning, are you living a life surrounded by the Lord? Are you living a life that you are a rock? Your life is like a mountain of faith. Steadfast and abides forever. If so, we have a mountain that surrounds us. The Almighty God. Where are your eyes? Where's your heart? Where's your trust? And how long does it endure? The answer to those four questions answers the question whether or not we're His people, whether or not He surrounds us. We know we can't make it alone, but we know with Him, we can make it through any enemy and even through the valley of the shadow of death. If you've never been baptized into Christ for remission of your sins, wouldn't this morning be a wonderful time to place your life in the surroundings of God? Maybe you have been baptized into Christ and since you have left the Lord and you need to come back to His surroundings. If we can help you in any way, come.